I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to the Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week, we're going to be diving deep into some backcountry tactics and talking about those wet hunts, hunts where you're packed in and everything gets soaked. So today, we're going to cover how to attempt to stay dry or somewhat dry, what to do when you get drenched, some additional gear that helps for these conditions, and just the mental game of slogging around in wet clothes and wet boots for a week. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a recent doll sheep hunt in Alaska, a recap of the grind and the wet conditions we encountered that week. So I drew a fairly limited entry doll sheep tag in the state of Alaska. And this particular area, you had to walk in, but there's traditionally good rams in this area. And so the plan for the hunt was this, like where we were going to get to was about a two-day hike in. And so we went in early before our season started to scout. And the, the plan was, or the thought was, to find a legal ram before the season. And when the season kicked on, go in and shoot that ram. And the nice thing about this plan too was we had a good weather window before the season. So we had a couple of days where it was going to be sunny, it was going to be clear. And when it's like that, you can cover a lot of country. You can glass a lot, you can see a lot, you can move a lot, like you're pretty unencumbered. And then about two and a half days in, the weather was about to hit and the weather forecast was just complete shit. It was just going to be wet for the rest of the nine, 10 days, whatever afterwards. So on this particular trip, there's quite a few of us going in, which was nice because if we got a ram, it'd have a lot of help carrying. And it was more just, we were filming it. Also, it was just fun to have some friends with me. So I, it was myself, Bryson, Garrett, Tim, and then Max and Max was filming. And so we our, our plan is we're going to hike in and then cover country, get to a spot that traditionally holds mature rams and go from there. And then if there isn't any ram, legal rams, continue to move. So in Alaska, a, a ram for it to be legal has to be either eight years old, full curl, and full curl means that 
the horn grows in a complete circle where it the tip surpasses the base of the horn. And then, or it could be double broomed where the tips are, are essentially broken off on both sides of the horn. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that kind of ram uh, for it to be legal. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to be picky. I wanted to find a legal ram, obviously. An older ram would be great, but we were, we were hoping to, to just, you know, you got to start first, find legal ram. So we hike in first day get to our first camp i think i kind of tracked so i actually downloaded and kind of tracked all of our elevation gain our miles so first day did about five thousand vertical feet eight miles set up camp we were about halfway to where we wanted to be and had seen already a lot of rams we probably glassed up 20 rams just nothing from whatever distance that we could tell would have been close to legal, but, you know, a lot of rams. So that night we saw a bunch of ewes in the canyon we are in, and our plan was to drop down into this basin and go up the canyon, climb up this super steep face, drop down the other side, and then kind of climb up the other side. So it was like canyon hopping. You know, I think some people just don't realize the magnitude of some of this country, right? It's like super steep. When it's wet, it's super slick. It's big country and you're looking miles away. You just like look across a canyon. That's two and a half miles and you see a sheep four miles away and you got to climb two mountains to get to it. It's just, it's, it's big, rough country. And this hunt definitely took a toll on us. I, I totaled up the elevation gain and, and over the nine days of hunting, we climbed 41,000 vertical feet in just super rough country. And that's probably not, you know, that's just the up. So you got to think you're going down 41,000 feet as well. And the down for me is the worst because I I don't, I used to just bomb off mountains. Now, as I got older, I I like control my descent a lot more, make it a little bit easier on the joints. And it's actually probably more work or just as much work going down as it is going up. And then you've got side hilling, which is the absolute worst probably as well. So if it's between going up, down, or side hilling, I'd probably actually rather climb. But, you know, it's more of a breath thing. And, and you got to remember too, this is with 10 days worth of gear on our back. So pretty heavy packs. I've got a fairly heavy rifle, all my rifle stuff, all your hunting stuff, spotting scope, tripod. You know, I, I, don't, I, I wish I would have had a scale to weigh my pack uh, food for the week. It's a classic hiking backcountry hunt. So you've got... I don't know, probably around a 60-pound pack, maybe more, maybe less. Um, I wouldn't say less. Mine definitely wasn't less for the duration of the trip and then water and and what have you. So day two, still the season isn't open yet, but we're we're hoping to turn up a legal ram and just like lights on, opening day, find a ram and, and go after him. So we, we get in there, second day, continue to move, and just a lot of sheep, lots of sheep, but no legal rams. So we're up on the ridge. We're like in tomorrow's opening day, we're glassing, and we kind of make, we, we glass across, and there's one ram that's kind of close, and he, he's probably six and a half miles away. And we're looking through the spotter, and in the evening i got a good view of him wrapping around the top of this pinnacle so we could i got him skylined and he was just 
right there, like very close. So the kind of executive decision was we'll get up, we'll start glassing in the morning. If we don't see anything where we're at or in this kind of basins where we're looking, we're going to bomb down the mountain, cross the river, and then hunt the other side of the range. And so we get up, we look around, we don't see what we're looking for. So we decide, all right, we're going to make this move. We drop down, climb up the other side, and go over to where those other sheep were. We were unable to turn up those sheep, but we wrap all the way around. So we just continue wrapping around the mountain to the backside, which leads to a new basin. It was a, it was a big hike, a big move. And we get into position. I think by this point, we'd done 15,000 feet or 16,000 feet in vertical climbing, right? Like we've, we've already put in time. And, and now it's the evening of that. That would be opening day. We haven't seen a legal ram. Uh, we did spot one that looked really close once we got like right at evening where we were going to camp. So that gave, that gave us some promise for the next day. And of course, the, the weather started to move in. So the next morning, it was wet. We kind of hung out and this particular camp spot was awesome because there was a creek and then these big rocks that we could kind of huddle under, which I thought, all right, this is awesome. If it's going to be wet, at least there was a, a spot where I could tuck my rifle and get it dry, get some ventilation and maybe dry some stuff out. So the next day was dumping rain. And oftentimes on a backcountry hunt like this, you know, you would probably do the wise thing and, and be like, ah, we're just going to hunker down, wait for it to lighten up so we don't get soaked, so we don't get wet, so all of our stuff doesn't get wet and put us in a maybe a bad situation. I don't know. But we're pretty hungry to kill a ram. And honestly, we're, we're just like, screw it. We're going to hunt in the, in the wet. We're just going to get soaked. It doesn't really matter. We're going to figure it out. So we went out and we, I think we went out. We we're like, oh yeah, it seems to be lightening up. And I think we ended up going out in the wettest part of the day. And nice thing about this was uh, we didn't have all of our gear left. A lot of the, the tent, we left the tents up and everything like that. So climb to the saddle and we pop over and there's some rams like 400 yards away. Perfect. And we analyze the rams, not quite full curl, just like, I mean, right there, but just not where you're like, oh yeah, that's a clearly legal ram. We put an age on them. Oldest we could get was seven. And so it's just like not legal. And then up in the cliffs was another ram, but now like the clouds are moving in, the wind's bad, the rain's just driving. Like it's the type of wind that would just blow you off the mountain if you're standing too close to the ledge. And so we can't really get a good good look at those rams, but we decide to kind of work up around the top of the mountain, peeking off on other sides. It would clear and we'd get a little bit of a look just to kind of get an idea of what was around us. And then got back that night, I mean, just absolutely drenched. Everything I had was so soaked to the bone. I was freezing. Climbed in my sleeping bag, you know, to, to dry my clothes out. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about is just how to dry your clothes out when you're soaking wet. And then next morning made a play to, to we actually packed up our gear and we we're going to go back up to that saddle and then hope that we could get eyes on that ram. And if, if the ram was legal, then we'd be dropping down the other side. So we didn't want to leave our camp. The kind of the way that I like to hunt. And I think it's a, it's a, a good way to hunt is where you're, you're, you've always got your gear on you. We aren't really setting up a base camp because you never know where you're going to end up. If you have to drop down and you're in this like canyon, sometimes it's all you can do to get up and down some of these mountains. I mean, safety wise and 
whatever. So once you get down there, you probably aren't climbing back up to go back to a camp that's in the wrong direction of the way that you need to travel anyways. So we, we carried all our stuff up and it was not as wet, but it was still not dry. I would say <laughs> like lighter rain. And I'm talking like rain where the mountains just, there's just waterfalls everywhere. It's just like the rivers are now at this point flooding because of a couple of days of intense rain and just water just shooting out of the mountain everywhere. It's like there's no places where there weren't streams. There are now streams and lakes and uh, all that good stuff. So we get a look at this, a couple of these rams that are, they're just in a spot where it'd be impossible to kill. They're just up in these like pinnacles. And one of the rams I believe was probably old enough, but he was a long ways away. And so he was not full curl. So he'd be like, going off of age on this ram and and if we're going to do that we're only going to decide that at rifle range right where we can get a really good count on so you're counting his uh growth rings on there and so we decided like we're pretty much investing a day to wait for this ram to hopefully come down where we can get a better look and the ram doesn't come down and then at that point it's like, well, we're midway through the hunt. Do we in- continue investing time because we're losing days? Do we continue investing time in this ram that might be legal based off of age, but isn't full curl that we, you know, we can tell he's not full curl. I'd rather have a ram that's like, okay, let's find a full curl ram that's also old enough, right? So it's like, let's get a ram that's legal two ways. And it was still enough time in the hunt where I kind of thought, I didn't want to just sit there and wait for this ram that may never come down because the place that he was at, he didn't have to come down. And as far as we know, continuing to look back into this particular area, I don't think that that ram ever came down to where we could have shot him. So it was the right call. We continued on and essentially the rest of the hunt went the same way. Continued finding rams and just right there. Just, I mean, so close, but so far away quarter of an inch short or it's just like or seven years old and it just it was like every ram was right there but not legal so we continued on hiking slogging through the rain climbing up passes covering country you know steep steep country (laughs) and so we got down to the wire and there was essentially we'd hunted out this entire mountain range pretty much continued to pick up the same rams and we decided all right well we're gonna have to we've got two days left and we still have a two-day hike out or two days i'd say like two days left to hunt or three days left to hunt and a two-day hike out so we made like this giant push up to the head of this basin in, in new country where we'd already looked into and didn't really see any rams but we wanted to go investigate further so we dropped down And also now it'd been raining so much this entire time that we were thinking we have a river, like the way out is across this river that we'd crossed when it was lower. And we weren't sure that we'd actually be able to cross it. So we weren't sure if we were like stuck here. But our thought was we could get up to like the head of the river and cross there where it's a lot less water coming into it, the catchment. And then we'd at least be on the correct side to hike out. So we're making a big push. It's like 10 and a half miles, lots of 5,000 feet of elevation, wrap around the mountain, go up, get into position. We're looking, we're glassing. And I turn like, it's pretty much where we were going to stop. We're heading up 
to this one little bench to glass and probably camp. And I look off to our right behind us and about 700 yards away is a big heavy ram. We all drop down I'm like, all right, this is a, I mean, this is a giant ram, probably one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest doll sheep I've ever seen. And you're like, how is this ram, how would this ram not be legal? It's like a probably close to Boone and Crockett ram, just monster bases. And we analyze him, analyze him, analyze him, and we just cannot get him at full curl, but we want to get level with him because we're looking. I mean, he's full curl from our angle, but it's also like we're looking up at him very steep. So we're going to get level with him. So we reposition, we get like set up, and we just can't make him legal. And we we zoom in, we age him. It's like we've got seven rings, and the the, the spacing, right, is very consistent. It's like, consistent 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 and then that last spacing between his six and seven is huge so you're like it's abnormally large did he just have an amazing growth here there's probably another growth ring in there like could have been legal but if i can't put my eyes on it i'm just erring on the side of caution there's no like in my mind there's no reason to shoot a sublegal ram right like and obviously like you would think based off of what I know about the way sheep grow, I believe like he probably did have another growth in there because it was just so much bigger than the last set of growth rings, but it's not worth risking. So here we, we've just like made this big push, get this giant ram in front of us and he's still not legal. So we're, we're there, we're, we're there for the next day, just more shit weather. <laughs> And it's like just raining and we're like, I don't know, how are we going to get out of here with this river? So the next day we get up, we go, we're looking around, we don't see any more rams. And then across the valley again, another big push is a ram that looks from probably three or four miles away. We're like, oh yeah, I think that's probably a legal ram. And like, perfect, dude, this is just like, it's going to line up last day kind of deal. We're going to go over there. So we push across, we, we cross the river, we encounter a bunch of bears. You know, we've seen bears the whole trip. Just like there's bears, there's rain, there's wind. Classic Alaska. <laughs> we get over there, cr- climb up there and just kind of get weathered out. Like we look at the rams, but we don't get a good look. So we drop below camp, essentially just wet every night <laughs> just like the mo of the trip just soaking wet and we get the next morning we pop up and the rams are on this one spot and they can see for miles and they happen to wrap around this corner of this big rock face and that's our chance we like bust up go up the shale slide get about 400 yards from them level with them the wind's cranking but uh, it feels pretty good. I've got like, I get my gun ready, just steady. And this is like the last, we got a hike out. We got a two day hike out. This is pretty much it. And now we're on the correct side of the river as well. And there's no way we can go any other way out because there's too many other rivers we wouldn't be able to cross. So we've got to go kind of, we were actually probably closer to other ways to get out, but there, we couldn't get out those other ways because the rivers on those sides would have been impassable. So I get set up and the sheep start coming out and i'm looking through because it's like we're gonna have a few seconds tim's on the spotter but he's a little bit below me and it's kind of windy and um i'm just like ready locked and loaded everything's set you know it's like he's gonna verify and the ram's legal 
and I'm going to pull the trigger. <laughs> like We're thirsty for it at this point. We have covered thousands of feet in elevation gain, I think like 50 miles of really, really, really rough country and just a lot of up, a lot of climbing, a lot of wet. We've, we've just put it all out there. We hunted hard. And here it is, the ram, right? Ram comes out and it's like, I've got, I'm a, I've got a dead rest. It's like resting on the heart of this ram. I'm just ready to squeeze the trigger. And I never get a confirmation. And, you know, from the quick glance of, of looking at the ram, you just can't put him at for sure legal in the short amount of time that we have. And the ram slips away and, and goes over the backside into the unit, but on the, through like some impassable stuff and the ram was gone and probably not legal. So it was just such a deflated, like, man, we had, and it was a big, it was also another, like there's another giant mid one sixties type Ram, just heavy bases, good Ram, actually really long horns too, that didn't make full curl. He's probably like 39 inches long and just did not break the plane of full curl. So now we've got a two-day hike out of here in the shit. A lot of bushwhacking and all that stuff, knowing that probably unlikely that we're going to see any other rams because we covered that other country pretty good. And then it was the slog out. So we started hiking out. It's about 20 miles through a bunch of stuff. We got about halfway. We weren't sure how long it would take us because sometimes you get in that like bottom stuff and you're just fighting brush for essentially day to go it's like a mile like half quarter mile an hour kind of movement and climbing through that kind of like thick alder and all that stuff so we get down there and we actually got on some pretty good moose trails and actually got on a trail where my brother and i had hunted moose quite a few years ago they were giving me giving me crap being the old man <laughs> it's like yeah back in the day we used to cruise these moose trails you know um but we we got on the moose trails and then we got about halfway and it was just on dark and it just started to rain again. It was shitty. And we're like, let's just continue hiking all night instead of camping here and, and getting out. I mean, there's there was no visibility and the next day. It was fogged in. So it's not like we could hunt our way out. It was just like, you're already soaking wet. So we just ended up slogging our way out and getting out about uh, midnight, one in the morning, something like that. And that was the sheep hunt. You know, afterwards it was like, you're you're in it and you're just going. And when I got done, I was like, the next few days, my feet were just like swollen. And a lot of the guys were, you know, like feet tore up. You're just hiking around in wet boots for 10 days, covering just an insane amount of elevation and, and all that. And I think a lot of people would not have hunted as hard as we did in that country. I, I think that we just covered that country. And I felt like we just gave it our best. We we left it all on the mountain and that's sheep hunting. I think that that's the appeal to it in some ways. Like when you're out there, it's hard to explain to people because you hear this story and I, it's kind of like you can't really describe what it's like because it just sucks the entire time, to be 100% honest. Like it sucks, right? You're just like tired, slogging, wet, cold, soaking boots, just windy, shitty conditions. And yet, and you just want to turn up like a legal ram and then you can't find a legal ram. I'm like between this and stone sheep hunting, I'm like 30 something days in hard backpack hunting and seeing no legal rams. 
And it's just super deflating, right? Like it's just, it's a major bummer. But also it's part of the sheep hunting experience. And I think that maybe people don't even realize that. And when you're out there doing it and hunting hard, you're like, I think there's very few people on this planet that could endure something like a sheep hunt, right? Like it's just, it's one of those things, even a lot of hunters, I think that just don't have the mental strength for it or the physical capabilities or what have you. It's just as much mental as it is physical probably. And when you get back, like, of course, it would have been awesome to take a ram. You know, it, it would have been phenomenal. Uh, that was the goal. It would have been, it would have been an, an incredible experience. And that's, but, you know, I think with sheep hunting, you kind of have to go into the experience knowing like, this is a pretty hard endeavor. There can be a hard endeavor. Sometimes it can be easy, right? Like sometimes you hear these stories of these guys, like I... I just want, like, these guys just, like, rock up, shoot something the first day, and it's, like, cool. That's not rare. That's rarely my experience with hunts. I don't know why, but maybe it's just, like, I'm not the type of person that looks for a first-day experience. But, hey, on this next hunt that I'm going on, my elk hunt, if a big bull steps out that first day, I'm letting an arrow fly. I put in my work this year. I put in my time. I've had a tough season. But, you know, I think that, like, you just come back out of that trip and you still have this high of like, wow, we did something that was hard and we survived the elements. We just went through it and we gave it our best. Sometimes that's, you know, they say it was like that's hunting and that's probably what keeps you coming back. If it was easy, I don't know if I'd be as addicted to it as I am. I think that that's probably one of the reasons just like I love sheep hunting because you just don't know on those kind of hunts. Like, am I even going to find a legal ram? I don't know but I'm going to beat myself up trying. When it comes to hunts in wet conditions, there's a few things that are just going to be facts, right? You're probably going to get wet. Like it doesn't matter what gear you have, how you try to stay dry. You're going to get wet. It's going to be uncomfortable. And in some instances, it can actually be very dangerous. In all instances, it's just plain annoying. (laughs) I don't, I mean, I've hunted a lot of wet places and I feel like it's at this point in my life, like I just kind of, it's just part of it, right? You just go like, I'm going to, my boots are going to be soaking wet. I just dump my water bottle in day one because I know that my feet are going to be soaked the entire time. But what we're going to talk about is that wet management, some tips for safety and comfort, and then just some gear that helps in these kind of conditions. And that doesn't necessarily even mean like, Let's say you're on an elk hunt and it's, I, I just got a text from a buddy who's in New Mexico and he's like, yeah, we're pretty much hunkered in our tents. We were just getting drenched. Two years ago, I was on an elk hunt and it just downpoured. Like we got soaked in an area that was like fairly arid and dry. You just never know what might become that wet hunt. And having knowledge of how to manage, how to dry out, how to stay safe is super important because I think this is some stuff that a lot of people don't know or don't realize. So we're going to kind of cover, and I think the main thing that we're going to cover is really how to dry out. And the fact that a lot of this too is as much mental as it is physical. So let's start with a little bit of pre-hunt prep. Whether, I mean, if you're going somewhere where it's going to be wet, Pacific Northwest, Alaska, places in New Zealand, right? You know, it's like, hey, this is a zone that's wet. I'm probably going to encounter some wet conditions. But this is stuff also is like maybe good to do no matter what. And the first is like a pre-hunt prep. What I do, I like to 
give my boots a little bit of help, a little bit of water repellency. I often wax them before a hunt, you know, using like natural beeswax or something like that. And that that extra wax just gives it kind of that ability to shed water and yet is still, you know, you still, you don't lose your Gore-Tex ability. I, I think like part of it, you think about when your boots get wet, most of the time it's actually the water like running down your leg into the boot, not necessarily it permeating from the outside, but you know, making sure you don't have any, you know, I've got a pair of boots and they, they're well broken in. Some of the seams I'll, I'll actually run like shoe goo on to just waterproof those seams that maybe you're starting to split a little bit or just a little bit of boot care, waxing my boots. I actually, on this trip, was wearing the Shanae's Beartooths, which is a more lightweight boot because, like, I, I, I feel like sometimes, I think a lot of people, this is as tough a mountain country as you need, and I still opted to take kind of their lighter, more flexible boot because it's more comfortable for me, and it's, like, a little bit less weight you're lugging around. By the end of the trip, though, oh, this is something... I, I never thought about this. Max, one of the guys that was filming, had a same luggage that he flew up there with. And on the way back, nothing else added. Like his bag was eight pounds heavier just from like water being soaked into boots and water being soaked into all his clothes and gear from that hike out. It's like you don't realize how much water gets soaked. It's like a gallon of water was probably soaked into his stuff. Like, I don't know if maybe the scales were off or what, but like, that was a pretty interesting revelation of saying like, when you're wet, just stuff gets heavy, stuff gets soaked and there's a lot of water soaked up in your, in your gear. I just thought that was an interesting little sidebar side note, but uh, pre-hunt waxing the boots. And then, you know, if you've got older rain gear or you've been using your rain gear a lot, I try I just hit it with a DWR, like rain gear spray all that does is it just causes the water to beat up a little bit better. And, and then once that water beads up, then it can roll off. And it might just give you a little bit more water repellency. Because what happens is like, no matter what your rain gear is, except for like rubber for the most part, and even then it's like it finds its way in. I don't know, you sweat on the inside. The water starts to push through once it starts to soak in the material. And you can have great rain gear, but after a certain point, it just... It, kind of doesn't work so just giving it a little bit more water repellency giving it a refresh or a revive helps now during the hunt i've got kind of a layering system that i do i go with like the minimal amount so i'll go base layer essentially whether it's thermals or whatever it depends on the temperature around and then my rain gear because then I'm sweating less because I'm a little bit going lighter I'm probably hiking I'm going to be hot but then I've also got that rain gear to protect and then the the other thought uh layering like that is when the stuff underneath gets wet whether it's base layer or whatever it's a lot easier for me to dry out in my bag in just thermals and a shirt than like a jacket or pants or something like that so and it allows me to kind of protect those more insulation layers from getting wet if I can help it now this isn't always the case like sometimes it's cold and you just gotta throw your rain gear over your other stuff but when it gets wet and I know it's going to be wet, or I'm walking through wet brush, I just start out in rain gear. And that's the way that I've found that seems to be the best to do it. And then just have the other clothes in my pack. While it's raining, and this seems like it should be common sense, but you just see people not really following this protocol. It's like, while it's raining, if you've got cuff 
tighteners, tighten them down. You don't want water running down your hands into your rain gear and sleeves. You want, obviously, like your jacket over, like sometimes you'll throw your pack on and your jacket will be a little bit higher and you'll have like this gap in your pants and it's like gives you places for water to run into or underneath your rain gear. Make sure your jacket's over everything, zippers all zipped up and throw your hood on because if your hood's down and it's raining, the water's going inside your rain gear. I don't know how many times I've like been guiding and it's like raining and everybody's got their hoods off. I'm like, dude, what's the even point of wearing the rain? Just take the rain gear off. It doesn't even matter at this point, right? Like you're protecting your your arms. I don't I don't get it, right? Your body's going to get soaked and it's going to soak in and it's going to spread. So, you know, just like zip up, protect yourself, for, use the rain gear. Like that's what it's for. <clears throat> and then, I mean, really the fact is like on a really wet hunt, you're going to get wet. It doesn't matter if you, it's like, yeah, you need the rain gear because it protects you uh, from the elements in a lot of ways. Like it blocks the wind, it blocks the rain, but yes, you're still probably going to get soaked. And knowing that you just need to know how to dry out. So the main method that I use for drying out is at night, like in the backcountry, using my sleeping bag to dry out my clothes. So what you want to do is you crawl in your sleeping bag with your wet clothes on, if they're super wet, you want to like wring them out first because it just helps. No sense in like soaking your sleeping bag additionally. And then what happens is your body heat like starts to turn that water into vapor, the heat through the sleeping bag, and it essentially like draws the moisture to the outside sleeping bag and then it evaporates from there. And that's the play. That's the plan. I have – so, you know, you can think about it in the in the past – we used to always use synthetic bags because, you know, the, the point was to dry out and the down would get wet and you'd lose your loft and insulation. Now there's like a water-resistant coating, waterproof coating on the feathers themselves. And what this allows is the, the to it to keep its loft and dry out faster. And I believe that the down one is lighter too. It actually tends to, like that kind of down, tends to dry things out better, I believe. Like the best, I've, I've got the Stone Glacier Chilkoot bag and I've used nearly every, I mean, I've used a lot of like most major companies sleeping bags out there. And that bag, I believe is the best for drying out and maintaining loft. Like it just, it puffs up really good. I really like it for this. I think that it's the best and like fastest for drying out. I've been in a lot of wet hunts and a lot of different bags and that, that bag to me is like the best at that. I don't even know if that was intentional, but like it's just, it maintains its loft really well. It still maintains its warmth and I'm able to dry out really good in it. You know, I, I mean, I, I just did it for nine days straight. <laughs> like it worked great. And like a lot of other hunts in the past were just constantly drying out. So you crawl in your bag with your wet clothes on. What I, I actually like to do is I'll take my socks off because I don't want to get like a call like trench foot, you know, you need to let your feet breathe a little bit. They're going to get like, they're waterlogged or they're soaked. You can dry your socks out as well. Like, so anything additional that you want to dry out, let's say it's socks, gloves, whatever. I actually just lay that across like my chest or body. Sometimes I'll, I'll hang my socks for like half the night. And then that way, you know, I'll let some of my clothes dry out a little bit and then I'll throw the socks on top once I'm a little bit dry to kind of dry those out as well. So by morning time, you know, everything should be 
pretty dry. It takes about, it depends how wet you're, like three to six hours, I would say, to dry most stuff. And so you don't necessarily have to be wearing everything. Like there are things like, you know, that I'll throw in there and I'll just layer it on top of myself. And and the same principle where your body heat warms it up, it starts to draw that moisture out of the bag. And then there you go, start to dry out. I mean, there are times on this past time where I crawled in my bag and I was soaking wet and that bag got pretty wet and I was freaking cold, you know, (laughs) I just like shivering in there. So one of the things that I do do, and it helps and aids in drying out a little piece of gears, I'll bring like hand warmers, like those, I don't know, different brands, hot hands or whatever, right? Hand warmers or the body warmers. Those body warmers last like 18 hours, I think. Um, They're a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, but they're worth their weight in gold on wet trips for me. So what I would do is I'd, I'd pull one of those out, undo it, and I've got like a pocket in my shirt and the chest. So I'd put it like right over my heart and essentially warm my core a little bit faster. But also those work really well because it creates additional heat in the bag to help dry stuff out. And you know, you can like, if you're, if you're like, hey, I got something wet, you can use that like a combination of hand warmers and then sometimes I'll boil water and put it inside of an, like a, my water bottle and make sure it's super tight. You do not want to come back to a soaked sleeping bag. <laughs> like You think about when you're in the bag wet, you're continually drying it. But when you're just dumping water in your sleeping bag, it's tougher for it to dry out. So, so you could put that in there and then layer those clothes and like leave for the day and that heat will help dry out whatever you've got just a little a little tip but for the most part drying stuff out in the sleeping bag is the best way to dry your clothes dry your socks whatever and the nice thing is like okay even if you're gonna get back in you're you're essentially like i'm gonna get wet again every day that you kind of are able to dry out it adds a little bit of warmth obviously but also it can help dry things out as well so like you're like i've got soaking wet boots but the next day isn't going to be as wet. So when you, you're putting your dryer sock into a wet boot and you're hiking around, you're creating heat and that's also evaporating the water out. Plus that sock's soaking up water in your boot. And eventually it helps dry your boot out. Now you could like, you know, you could use fire if it's possible, right? To dry stuff out or you can use a, a stove to, propane stove to help dry stuff out. But, you know, in most backcountry situations, backcountry hunts, that's like it's not even possible in some places. So, you know, it might be maybe there's fire restrictions. Maybe there's just nothing to burn. Maybe it's just too wet. Like, it's just not really an option where you're at. So that's something to think about is like crawling into your sleeping bag. Use your sleeping bag to dry out. That's the primary function of the way that I dry in my sleeping bag. And then you need to think of a couple other considerations for this to work really well. You really want good ventilation in your tent. So if you crawl in your tent and you're wet and you get in your sleeping bag and now you're like getting your sleeping bag wet, but you're using your body heat to dry it out, to get the loft back, to to evaporate the water. And that water has nowhere to go outside of the tent except just condensates in the tent. Then that humidity is going to slow down this entire process. So you need to pretty much open any ventilations you can. If, if there's wind, great like a breeze uh, any kind of wind or air movement helps like bust that water off of the bag and, and and dry it out a little bit better now another thing to think about is 
after like the morning after you've done this, probably the last thing you want to do is stuff your like a, a damp sleeping bag into a stuff sack for a prolonged period of time. Because what happens is once you do that, now you're kind of killing the loft in the down. So if you've got the option, you probably should leave your bag out to where it can air out and, and, and dry out and evaporate some of that water off before you stuff it in a stuff sack. Because if you stuff it in a stuff sack wet, if it's down, you know, it, it starts to lose that loft. And the way to get the loft back would be crawling in it and heating it up with your body heat again. But every time you do that, you lose a little bit of R value. You lose a little bit of that warmth until it lofts back up. So if you can let it dry out or just, you know, let it dry out somewhat, that's the best, for, especially for the next day, because you, you don't want to, when you start stuffing that down and it's soaking wet or pretty wet, it makes it really hard for it to loft back up. So that's one thing that I'll do is I'll leave my bag kind of spread out and just make sure that no like rain's going to get to it or, or be dumping into the tent while you're gone. So like you can kind of plan it too, or, okay, this day I'm, I'm packing up, I'm moving, but okay, I got really wet. I need to let my bag air drain. If it, sometimes even on wet hunts, right? It could be just dumping rain and you get 20 minutes of sunlight. Cool. Take that bag out and just flash it in the sun for a bit. Get some airflow around it. Get some air circulation. Another good method to kind of dry stuff out is just essentially a clothesline. Like airflow helps a lot. One, one of the things that I did is when we were at that rock, it was dumping rain the entire time, but I took my rain gear underneath one of the ledges and I just ran like a little clothesline and the wind was blowing good under there and I just hung my rain gear up and by morning, my rain gear was completely dry inside and out. Rain gear dries pretty quick if you just get a little bit of breeze, which is really nice because sometimes it's nice to just have that like little bit of extra, hey, we got soaked yesterday it dried out and now it's kind of back to normal so you can start over and if it's just light rain or whatever that day it it helps protect you and also kind of keeps you warm when it's not wet and the wind's trying to push through it like on those wet clothes so setting up some kind of clothesline another piece of gear that i might bring on a real wet hunt would be like a, a tarp system stone glacier's got like a sill tarp it's just like a light tarp you stake out use your trekking poles and you can lift it up so when you're glassing or maybe you're camped or whatever, you've got a little bit of a shelter to get out of the rain and, and do whatever you can. Obviously, the best way to stay dry is to stay out of the rain. But in, in a lot of cases, you've got a limited time to hunt. You're going to hunt hard and you're going to get wet. And, you know, having ways to dry things out is important. So even having that little bit of a tarp shelter, it's like you can put up a little clothesline in there and get some air circulating past stuff and, and dry it out. It's a good way to dry out a sleeping bag if you had to. It's also a good way to maybe keep like your rifle or bow from getting rusty and, and wet. And that's one thing you kind of also have to consider on wet hunts is whatever you're taking with you. Whether you're like in bear country, you've got a pistol and a bow or you've got a, a rifle, you know, you want to make sure that they are protected as well. So I always use a solo hunter rifle cover on wet hunts. It keeps like and like the bow cover too for the strings and everything like that. Now, the best part about that is it keeps stuff out of the scope, out of the barrel, all that good stuff. But it also does keep a lot of the water off it. But you're just on super wet hunts, you're building condensation in there. So I always take the cover off at night, try to air dry it, like hang it up like I would my rain gear on a, a clothesline or in the tent, like between the fly and the tent. And then like for a rifle, I'll try to, I forgot it on this trip, but often I'll bring like a little 
piece of a pack, like an old, I have an old, like, you know, those packable towels, almost like a chamois rag kind of thing, and just wipe the gun down and then let it sit overnight. One of the things that I find pretty handy, especially for rifle hunters, is if you have a bipod, I carry like this little attachable bipod, I'll, I'll put the bipod on at night and allow the rifle to sit up. So it's not laying on the bottom of the tent where one side's like condensating and wet. It helps it dry out. Same with like, let's say you're in bear country and you've got a pistol, you know, take your pistol out of its holster, open it up, dry it off a little bit, let it lay there where it can breathe so it doesn't get rusty. You want to make sure that your equipment's going to work and you got to take care of it in those wet conditions. It's just another consideration to think about on wet hunts. Another little trick, like if you are crawling into sleeping bag, you're wet, you're cold, you know, like I said, you could do this while you're gone or you can do it while you're there. Having those those body warmers, hand warmers is nice. You can also just boil some water and put it in your water bottle, bring that in with you and it just creates more heat in that bag. So it warms you up faster, your body temp gets up, you're comfortable, you're safe, and then you're also drying your bag and your and your clothes out a little bit faster. Sometimes you get too hot, but... It's nice to know like, okay, things are drying out. And I just lay there and you you start to check in. At first, you're like, how is this even going to work? And yet every time it does, and it's kind of like, it's it's kind of a backcountry miracle, really. Like, okay, I just crawled in here, my wet clothes, and and I dried them out. Sometimes if I got like a wet jacket or whatever, I'll bring that in my sleeping bag with me. I'll either put it on and sleep in it, or I'll throw it over the the top of me inside my bag and, and dry it out. One thing that I'll talk about a little bit of like the safety aspect of hunting in real wet country, or let's say you've, you're hunting and you're, it's unexpectedly wet. Like maybe you in a dryer and you didn't even bring rain gear and you get soaking wet. Well, when you get wet, that really cools your body temperature down and it makes it, it could put a person in a dangerous situation if unprepared. One of the things that I always do, I'll always have my spare insulation layer essentially a puffer of some kind, a down jacket. And I'll have that in like a dry bag in my pack. I've said it before, I was talking about protecting the puffy. And there's a reason for that is because that's like my last warm-up defense. Like if I'm freezing cold and soaking wet, then I find shelter and throw that on and get warm. And that's, I use that pretty much for emergency use only. If I'm in the field and I'm like wet and cold, then I just start hiking. I'm like, I'm just going to build some body. I'm just start walking uphill in my rain gear and it'll warm me up. But when you cool down for the day or, or whatever, then it's time to put up whatever shelter, your tent, your tarp, whatever you've got and get out of that rain and then warm up. So I just probably in that scenario, you actually can dry clothes in kind of the same principle in your down or whatever, but I don't like to do that. I like to keep that thing dry. So I would, in that case, like pull off my wet clothes, throw on my insulation and and heat back up. And if I've got those hand warmers or whatever, I'll throw that in there. Um, if I've got like a, a mountain house meal or a peak refuel meal, I'll boil that up. When I cook my meals, I make sure the top's sealed real tight. And then I stuff that, I make like a kangaroo pouch, stuff it in inside my jacket and and warm up that way. But I always keep that spare insulation layer as my don't get this wet. Like this is for you to dry out and or to stay warm when you're soaking wet and it's hard to hard to warm back up. 
And that's kind of my like last defense. And then after that, then once I kind of get back to body temp or whatever, then I would probably, you know, pull that down off, probably put my wet shirt back on and then crawl in my sleeping bag and, and dry back out. But maybe if you didn't have your sleeping bag with you or whatever, you know, create a shelter and then warm back up. And that's a, just some like a little kind of thing to think about is like, okay, if I got wet, how would I warm back up and what do I have? And, and, you know, I wouldn't like, I know sometimes people stop and they'll get, you start to get chilled. Right. And it's like, oh, they throw their down on underneath their wet rain gear while it's raining. And then by 45 minutes later, that down is just soaked wet and it has no insulation properties whatsoever. And that sucks because now it's like, well, what do you have to warm up? So I like to keep something to stay warm. So I use a combination of walking when I can to warm up and then, you know, protecting the puffy and protecting that insulation layer at all costs for the most part is my particular strategy. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I think that that's great information. You know, it's, it's some of the stuff that when I started out backcountry hunting, I didn't know about drying out my sleeping bag. And there, I can think about many, many a wet, cold night it was like I just threw on like I never dried out <laughs> it's just now knowing what I know now I know that it actually you actually can dry out extremely well in your sleeping bag and and especially just adding having that right ventilation and kind of cutting down some of the humidity in your tent and just using your body heat to to draw that moisture out it does work and it works really well it's very effective so it's something to try on on your backcountry on if you get wet you know, know how to dry out, know how to get warm and know how to hunt hard. I think that just having those, those, that ability to know like, okay, I'll be okay. I can dry out. I'm in the way back here, but this is what I do. And, and I've done it a million times. And, and just having that like mental fortitude of knowing like it sucks being wet, but it's okay. You're just wet, right? Like you're going to be fine. I think that a lot of people in that wet weather start to break down. And I think that you just kind of have to know like, there's certain parts of certain hunts that just suck. Embrace it, right? It's like once you do that and once you get that through your head, you can kind of do anything and, and you really are able to give it your best. I know there are times where, yeah, it is probably most prudent to just wait. Sometimes storms roll through. It's like get in your tent, hunker down, let the water pass for a bit and then go out and hunt hard, right? You don't need to, you don't need to put yourself in a bad situation, but there's other hunts where it's like, Dude, this is, this is the situation. This is what we're hunting in. And for me personally, when I go on a hunt, man, I just kind of give it everything that I have. And oftentimes that means like I'm just getting wet. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. And I think like this last hunt was one of those. It was one, it's a hunt that I'll remember forever. You know, had, I, had it gone to plan and I, we shot a ram on the first day in beautiful weather. Yeah, it would have been great, right? But you know, I had a, I had a sheep hunting experience that we hunted hard and, and it's a, it's a hunt that I won't forget. We all, we all did our best and, and tried real hard and it just didn't pan out, you know? And that's just something that, that happens. It's like, that's part of it. But, you know, if you guys have a hunt that, you know, it turns out like that, there's not much you can do sometimes. You just know that you hunt. It's like the best part is knowing that you hunted hard. If I had that same situation, I was like, well, I spent 90% of the time in the tent. That would have sucked, right? Because it's like, well, I didn't even get out and hunt. I, I, I know for a fact, like 
we covered that mountain. We we covered that mountain pretty well, and we didn't find a legal ram or one that, you know, I, I think we some of those rams were legal, but um, we didn't have an opportunity to kill legal ram, and that was okay because we you know felt like left it all on the line. So, you know, I, I think that that's the other thing. You know, it's like some years are, are wet years, and just understanding how to navigate that. A few other pieces of equipment that is like, hey, a little bit of, a little trick here, throwing some of those hand warmers in. And sometimes I'll throw those, like, it's nice to just throw those in my boots when it's cold or, or, you know, toe warmers. Throw a toe warmer in your boot when it's wet and just like that extra heat will help dry them out as well. So little tricks like that work. And I think that it's just, you know, make you more comfortable, make you more self-sufficient and and help you when the conditions aren't the best. One of the things I talked about, I, I really do love that Chilkoot sleeping bag. Stone Glacier has been an awesome, awesome supporter of this podcast. And I've got to use pretty much all their gear, a lot of their gear. And that sleeping bag is, like I said, you know, on that trip, there was a couple of us that had that bag. And that was the thing that we kept talking about how incredible like we're like dude how does this thing loft so well and dry us out so well like it's the best bag i've had for that as always you can use code live wild for free shipping on any stone glacier stuff so if you're there and you're like oh, this is something i need or this is a good sleeping bag. i mean this is just one that i've tested it's tried and true i've used it in a lot of wet hunts and i know that it works really well and i know that it lofts up one of the things that i will suggest though is like i've talked about this before but when you're storing your sleeping bags, do not store them in that compressed state like through the rest of the year. I have a giant tote that I store my sleeping bags in or I'll put them in a closet. Let them go full loft the rest of the year. You know, care after the hunt is just as important at keeping like you invest a lot in good gear. Let that good gear work right by not compressing those those sleeping bags down all year. So many people I've seen, like they just put their sleeping bag in their stuff sack at the end of a hunt, cinch it down and like expect it to always work like it did when they first got it. And when you do that, you compress the fibers in there and you lose that magic ability of that loft. You just like slowly over time degrade it. So when you're storing your sleeping bag, just as a last tip, make sure it's dry and then store it fully out. One of the things I will suggest as well, what I do when I come back from a wet hunt is you'll notice like the down starts to clump up or the bags start to clump up. I don't even know if this is recommended, but I throw it in my dryer with no heat, just like air loft. And I'll just run it on a couple cycles of that tumble. And that just breaks it up and just builds that loft back. And then I lay it out and it's, it's good to go again. You know, I don't, I have yet to wash my sleeping bag. I don't know if that's disgusting or not, but like if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? But by just doing that little bit of like no, not even low, just no no heat, just that tumble. I've got like a tumble cycle on my dryer and I'll just tumble it for like 20 minutes to an hour, depends on how, until I start to get that loft back. And that's just a little bit of a last tip to kind of seal up this entire hunting the wet, drying out and and using your sleeping bag to dry your clothing. So in summation, I'm just going to say dry it out. That's a good, that's, you know, for this podcast, I think that's, I would say don't get wet, but that's just going to be impossible. So keep it dry. (laughs) Catch you guys later. Keep your powder dry, boys. All right, see you guys.